Well, thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see that God is moving in your life. Thanks so much for joining us again, and God bless. Matthew 25 to verse 34 is where we'll be. Uh, It says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that this would be your message, that you would speak to our hearts in the way that only you can. God, I pray for those that have come into church this morning or are watching online that are worried. God, whatever is consuming their mind, Lord, whatever is causing them to worry, Lord, I pray that you would ultimately Take that worry from them. Lord, that you would just remind them that they can cast their cares upon you because you care for them. Lord, we're all worried about something, whether it be who our next president will be or who our next, uh, what next wave of coronavirus is going to hit. Lord, we're all worried about something. But God, you've given us a remedy to our worry, and that's to trust in you. So, Lord, as we sit at your feet in this moment, help us to do that. Help us to trust in you. You have proven yourself trustworthy time and time again. Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all can take a seat. So, once you do something, turn to your neighbor and tell them not to worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Good job, Tyrone. You got it. Don't worry, Tyrone. And if there's nobody sitting around you, just go ahead and shout from the dog. No, don't do that. Um, but how many of us would admit to that, uh, that we're worried about something, whether it's our job or our kids or our cars not working or, uh, our, in this case, food, not having enough Uh, income to put food on the table. Your worries can go on and on and on. And the more we worry, uh, the more bogged down we get with those worries. And that's not God's intention for us. It's not to worry. He doesn't want us to worry. 
And if you are worried this morning, I want you to know that you're not alone. According to statistics, 40 million people in America claim to struggle with worry. So welcome to the club. This is amazing. Not really. But listen, you're not alone. You're not alone when it comes to your worry. Listen, worry causes us to be absent in certain situations, and worry oftentimes steals away our happiness and causes our joy to become foggy. I love what Tony Evans said. He says, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll get you started, but it won't get you anywhere. But you also have to know that worry is also a sin. Worry is the opposite of trusting in God. Exactly what God wants us to do, which is trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It doesn't say worry with all your heart. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, what? Acknowledge Him. That's right. But what happens when I worry? Oftentimes for me personally, yes, pastors worry. I don't know if you knew that or not, but pastors worry sometimes. Uh, sometimes my worry thoughts start with what if? Have you ever been there? What if this doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? What if I get this sickness? What if I get this disease? What if I get this or that? What if? And this phrase, listen, will cause some of us to have sleepless nights. It will cause us to put our cares on the things that, listen, don't honestly really matter. I think it was Chuck Swindoll that said that 90% of the things we worry about don't actually happen, right? See, worry causes us to look more to our inability rather than God's great ability. See, worry causes us to, to try to take things into our own hands and try to fix it before we can actually lay them down at God's feet. Now, I'm sure we can all admit to, the, to that. We've all, at one point in our life, tried to fix something that we had no business trying to fix, See, worry is a sin. The great theologian Bob Marley once said, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Do you know it? Come on. Be happy. In every life, I don't know about that theology, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. I'm sure you didn't expect to quote that in church, right? But if you look around our state and our country, listen, some things can cause us to worry. Who our next president will be. Why our governor is doing certain things. How come I'm losing hair but gaining weight? That just doesn't make sense. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or, or how come they think this about me when they may not even be thinking about you? We might worry about our families, right? We worry about our dysfunctional families causing even more dysfunction, right? Welcome to the holidays. Amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> we worry about getting one of our kids a certain gift and the other kid saying, well, that's not fair. Not that our kids ever do that. <laughs> Relationships. You're worried about who you'll marry one day. Most of us, I think, are married. But anyways, but we worry, we worry about these 
things that at the end of the day, they don't make a difference in today. We worry about many things, and those things, listen, will cloud our minds, and they'll interrupt the joy that God has given us. Your joy will still be there, but it'll seem like it's absent because you've started clouding your mind with all of this worry. Don't do that. Stop it. In the name of Jesus, stop it. (laughs) But listen, the first cure, so there's a cure and there's a remedy. The cure for a worried and troubled mind and heart comes from 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. That's good news. We have a God who cares for us, and he cares about the stuff you go through. Whether it's big or small, he cares about what you're going through. He cares so much about what you're going through that he's saying, listen, bring them to me. I want them. I want your cares. Because guess what? At the end of the day, you're not God. I'm not God. He can do more with our cares and worries than we ever could. Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. And so this morning, we're looking into what Jesus says about worry. In verse 25, he says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And he asks this question, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? The definition of worry is literally to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Anybody got some difficulties or troubles in their life this morning? Yeah. Don't allow your mind to dwell on it. Listen, worry and anxiety, they go hand in hand. Anxiety literally means to strangle. If you deal with anxiety, you know exactly what this feels like. It feels like somebody is choking the life out of you because you're so anxious, you're anxiety-stricken. But listen, when you are either worried or anxious, life begins to get sucked out of you. That's the enemy's goal. His best friends are worry and anxiety. When we moved to Northern California from Southern California, we took a position at a a church in Woodland, uh, Bayside Woodland. So we had everything lined up. We told my boss at the time and and the pastors at the time that we were uh, taking a call to become the children's, uh, I was taking the call to become the children's pastor at Bayside Woodland. But the only thing was, is we didn't have a place to live yet. We were a little worried. And so, one day, my, uh, my, form, or my soon-to-be boss at the time decided that it'd be a good idea to take me on a virtual tour of the place we were going to live. The inside was, like, amazing. We loved it. He didn't show us the outside, and we soon knew why he didn't show us the outside. But listen, before all that even happened, not knowing where we were going to live was, was, was causing our minds to wander to this thought, oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And if you ever find your place in the spot of what, what am I going to do, drop it. Leave it at God's feet. Because he can do more with what you don't know what you're going to do about than than what you know or you think you're going to do about. That didn't make sense. Anyways. But listen, 
I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that I, I know, I get to know a God who does not worry. Amen? You, I hope you know the same God this morning because my God does not worry. He is not pacing back and forth in heaven trying to figure out how to sort through all the worries in your life. He's not hiding behind a wall like waiting for your worries to leave. He knows how to deal with your worries. Did you know that there uh, 60 trillion droplets of fog can cover seven city blocks in San Francisco? 60 trillion droplets of fog. It can close down airports, it can tie down cities, but you condense all of those 60 trillion drops. You know how much you, you end up with? Half a glass of water. Half a glass of water. See, God knows you are prone to worry. However, he doesn't want our worry to become 60 trillion droplets of, of fog. He wants your worry to stay half a glass, but sometimes we worry and worry and worry, and it just expands, and it just fogs everything out. But I love how, how Jesus in this passage, he uses some practical things to help us see why we shouldn't worry. All right, so point number one, Life is more than food and clothing. Now, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mountain. It was directed towards his disciples. And when we get to this passage, Jesus starts really getting into the heart of, of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he talks about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about worry. He talks about, he talks about these things that we all struggled with. This, this book, this Bible, was written a long, long, long time ago. And the things that Jesus addressed his disciples with are still relevant to us today. So don't tell me this book goes out of style, because this speaks to us even in our season of life. But he directed this to his disciples. And so when Jesus asks the question, he says, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I can imagine the disciples just thinking, how did he know? How did, how did he, I was just worried about where I was going to get my next bowl of hummus from. Like, do you realize I was worrying about this, Jesus? Because what you just brought up just blows my mind. Like, I'm dealing with this right now. And he goes on to say clothing. And one of the disciples, I would have imagined, probably would have ventured off to say, man, I was just worrying about my tunic. It's, go, it, it's got some holes in it. It's getting a little chilly around here. In elementary school, I was known as the kid who only wore basketball stuff. Like, my shirts were basketball gear, my, my shorts were basketball gear, I, I wore basketball shoes. Everything I did, uh, everything I wore was basketball. And in middle school, not much changed. In middle school, I got, I got so bold as to start bringing my own basketball to school. Like, I was... I was geared up for basketball, head to toe. Like, I look back and I'm embarrassed at my, my, my style. Be happy. Until my freshman year, when I started dating a girl who was so worried about my own attire and what other people might think of her because of what I wore. So one day, she gifted me a pair of skinny jeans van shoes, and a skater shirt. What in the world am I going to do with all this? 
I'm walking, I'm a skinny white kid, right? Walking around like a chicken now. That's literally how I felt. But listen, all that to say food and clothing in particular in this case, uh, they have a grip on us. Let's be honest. We all like to be keeping up with the, the next new pair of shoes or the next whatever floats your boat. I don't know, but it has a grip on us. Why? Why, why do these things have a grip on us? Because ultimately, if uh, we would lose some pleasures, right? Food tastes good. Anybody like food? Right? Nobody likes food? Amen for food? Food tastes good. It tastes really good, especially when you're really hungry. It's pleasurable to eat. Now, some of you may not like certain things, but the things that you do like to eat, it's good. You like to eat it. But listen, we're afraid if we didn't loosen that grip, we're afraid we would lose some, some human praise and admiring glances if we didn't have nice clothes. We're afraid if we loosen our grip, we would lose long life if we had no food at all or weren't protected from the cold with warm clothes. So what is our response to food and clothing? We get worried about these items because we don't want to lose physical pleasures, human praise, or length of life. And listen, Jesus is ultimately responding this way, to loose paraphrase. He's saying, if you are gripped by anxiety over these things, you have lost sight of the greatness of life. Life was not given primarily for physical pleasures, but for something greater, the enjoyment of God. Life was not given primarily for the approval of man, but for something greater, the approval of God. Life was not even given primarily for living longer on this earth, but for something greater, eternity with God in the age to come. Listen, life was given for the enjoyment of God, the approval of God, and to spend eternity with God in the age to come. That's what life is about. Now, I ask you this question, have you been looking for life in the wrong places this morning? I can tell you this, the only place to find life, true, lasting, satisfying life, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say, in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? I got a picture up here. You can go to the next slide. So, yeah. Anybody know what, what that is on my son's arm? Yeah. Bird fans out there, right? Now, when we got in there, when we got into the, to the bird shop, um, the birds weren't freaking out. They weren't yelling at the employees like, hey, when are we going to get food? When are you going to feed us? They weren't chirping out. They weren't like uh, swimming. The birds don't swim. Um, flying. They weren't flying all over the place, panicking. They were just there. They knew that they were going to get fed. And that's Jesus' point here. He says, listen, look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And he says, aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Now, I see a lot of birds, and I'm, I'm sure you do too, pigeons, crows, but you've never, ever seen one of them panicking, right, for their next meal. 
Have you? If you have, I want to, I want to see this bird. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, listen, if your Father in heaven feeds them, what do you have to worry about? If your Father feeds the birds, what do you have to worry about? Point number two, worry doesn't get you anywhere. Now, Jesus, in, in this question, next question he asks, is really asking a rhetorical question. In verse 27, he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And I'm pretty sure we can all answer that right now. No. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? He knows what the answer is, but he's making his disciples think and come to terms with the facts that worry is useless and worry doesn't accomplish anything. The problems you face in your life, listen, the worry you face in your life is not too big for God to handle. Amen? That's a good spot for an amen right there. Thank you. Jeremiah 32, 27, it says, Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. Again, a rhetorical question. He's God. He can do anything. In Genesis 18, verse 14, it says, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? You can answer it. No. Your worries, are easy, your worries are easy for God to take care of, but here's where we tend to trip up. We hold on to them. We put a grip on the worries that we have. And when you begin to worry, listen, oftentimes we associate worry with, with oh, this is of the enemy. But what we can do is we can turn that worry into an opportunity to trust God. If you start to worry, you say, okay, Lord, I'm worried right now, so please take my worries. Listen, Jesus' cure for worry is trust in him. It's ultimately the cure for our worry, is trust in him. Listen, God is not afraid of your fears. Ultimately, he is waiting for you to bring your worries before him so he can do something with them. Like we mentioned in, in the beginning, worrying will not get you anywhere. It will only cause you to stall, and it will only cause you to stay put. The enemy oftentimes likes to use worry to get you to plateau in your relationship with God, just to stay stuck. The enemy would love to see all of us just at this point where we're not progressing in our walks with the Lord. And he uses these subtle things in our lives like worry and anxiety and fear Right, to cause us just to stay in one place. But listen, I would encourage you, if you are worried about something, bring it before the Lord. And when you do that, you're ultimately saying to the enemy, no, not today. My, my worry, my fear, my anxiety is not going to have control over me today. But ultimately, the enemy, again, he wants to make it seem like if I just worry, if you just worry a little bit more, it'll make a difference. If you just worry a little bit more, you, you might be able to solve the problem that you're going through. If you just worry a little bit more, the only difference it'll make is your trust in God will begin to decrease. And your worry in your circumstance will begin to increase. Here's the bottom line. Give your worry to God. Verse 28 through 31, 
He goes on to ask more questions. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? In one translation, when it gets to the flowers of the field, it says they neither toil nor spin. Have you ever seen a flower starting to panic about how God was going to adorn them? Never seen one of the sunflowers spin and spin and spin and spin trying to figure out, I don't know what color I'm going to wear today. Have you ever seen that? See, just like the birds in the air, Jesus says, lilies of the field aren't worried about how God is going to adorn them. And I love the question he asks to his disciples. He says, why do you have so little faith? Thanks, Jesus. I thought we were doing all right. Like, we're trusting in you. You told us to follow you, and we're following you. And then you slap us with this, why do you have so little faith? I thought our faith was good, man. Like, we're the only ones right here, aren't we? And it might seem to them, or even to us, that Jesus was being a little cold. I mean, after all, they had left everything. I don't think it was Jesus' intent to come off cold-hearted. But he was wanting them to see the reality of where their faith was. And in other words, he might have been asking the question, where is your faith? And I ask you that question this morning, where is your faith? Is it in the God who knows what you're going through, what you're worried about, what you're afraid of, or is it in the worry who wants to control? Jesus goes on to say after this question, he says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Right on? He already knows your needs. Now, here's kind of a side note. There is nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with getting a job. Nothing wrong in in, in that aspect at all. Working hard is a part of who God created us to be. Now, some of us think that, no, God created us, or, or we started working, excuse me, after the fall. So my job is actually a byproduct of the fall. It's not. Just because you have a bad job or your boss is hard doesn't mean you can start using that, that, that card, because it's not true. See, before the fall, God told Adam to work. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to take care of it. Many of us complain about our jobs, about who we work with. This person I gets on my nerves, and I can't do my job. They don't, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. We start to complain, and we start to gripe, and we start to just dislike our jobs. Many of us complain about our jobs because we really don't want to work at these jobs. We just don't like it, right? But you have a job. One way that God provides for our needs, listen, is through the work we do. 
Whatever God has called you to do, whether you're a manager, a plumber, a custodian, a nurse, a doctor, a teacher, a lineman for PG&E, right? It doesn't matter what you do. Do it with all your heart because Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? So maybe you do have a hard job, but in the midst of your work, in the midst of your hard job, give God priority. If your hours get cut, don't worry, trust God. If your boss is mean to you, don't worry, trust God. Whatever your circumstance is, don't worry, trust God. I think we just won up uh, Bob Marley right there. First, uh, First Corinthians, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. Did anybody bring any clothing items when they were born or food or anything like that? Nobody brought anything, right? Okay, just double checking. And we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Anybody like math? Miss Darby, you probably like math. Oh, yes, Anthony, perfect. I got to... I got, a, I got a formula for you, right? Ready? Okay. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. I just gave you the answer, too. You don't do that for your students, do you? No. Anyways. So godliness, right, it comes from following Jesus, becoming more like him in our ways. Contentment, now listen, it's being at ease with where you are. And being thankful for what you have and even what you don't have. See, contentment doesn't mean complacency. It means learning to be satisfied until God gives you more. Uh, when I was uh, feeling like God was calling me to something different in Southern California, I, I didn't know what it was entirely. I didn't know what he was calling me to. So I sent out all these resumes to, to other places. I must have sent out 50 different resumes, and every response I got back from every employer or company was no. It was a, a slam door. It, it wasn't, yeah, we'd love to have you. And finally, I got to this place where I just became just discouraged. I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Clean toilets for the rest of my life? And I'll never forget cleaning a toilet one day, asking that question. God, if you don't want me doing this, then do you want me doing this the rest of my life? And I'll never forget the question that popped into my mind after I said that. If I will, will you? If it's my will for you to clean toilets for the rest of your life, will you? And at that point in my life, I realized that God was working on my heart for me to learn how to be content with where I was. I didn't necessarily like cleaning stuff off a toilet. I didn't like cleaning up vomit after kids. But God was trying to do a deeper work in me than I realized. It wasn't just cleaning toilets. It wasn't just cleaning up vomit. It wasn't just sweeping the floor. It wasn't just that. It was much more than that. It was learning how to trust God with where I was. And maybe you're in the same place today. Listen, God wants to teach you contentment. And he'll use some pretty unique ways to teach you just that. But contentment comes with knowing God has what's best for you, even when you can't see it. 
As soon as I learned contentment, I remember, uh, and trust me, I'm no pro at, at contentment. I, I am still learning. Uh, some of you are probably way, way more uh, content than I am. But, but when, I, when I learned that lesson, immediately, uh, it was almost, it was almost like immediately, that I got an email from a church that I had applied to, that I had totally forgotten about. And it almost seemed like God was bringing me to this point where, okay, if you want to move on, you're going to have to learn how to stay put and make the most out of the opportunity I've given you here. And then this verse came in to my mind as, as the Lord and I were having this dialogue, if you will. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And Jesus closes with the same thing he's been saying from the beginning. Don't worry. Don't worry. Trust God, right? Nothing you do tomorrow will affect today. Because you can't do anything tomorrow. You can only do what's in today. What is in front of you today is all that you are to live in. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is like a vapor. It's here for a minute and it's gone the next day. But listen, my encouragement to you is don't live in yesterday and don't live in tomorrow. Live in today. And maybe some of you are worried about tomorrow. Or maybe you're worried about what happened yesterday. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God today. Above all else. Above yesterday. Above tomorrow. Above all else. As I wrap, wrap up this message, I want to close with a, a quote from Tony Evans again. He says, this is the centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount. If you get this right, everything else falls into place. God demands that his kingdom rule be first in your life. When it's missing, you've identified the key to your problems. Of course, prioritizing God's kingdom in this way doesn't mean you won't experience challenges and suffering, but your life will be aligned under his kingdom authority so you can experience his provision. In baseball, right, you have first place, second, ba second base, third base, home plate, right? See, I can get to second base, I can get to third base, and I can even get to home plate. But if I miss first base, all of those other things won't matter. We've got to put God's kingdom first. That's our first base. When we seek his kingdom above all else, he will provide for us. But how do you know if you're putting God's kingdom first? You have to ask the question, when I need guidance, where do I go first? Do I seek the world's perspective or do I seek God's view and righteous standards first? So if you've missed first base, 
there's an opportunity for you to go back, to repent from seeking all the other junk that you might have sought and go back to seeking God's kingdom first. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, forgive us for where we have not sought your kingdom first. God, I pray that our life's aim would be to seek after you in all our ways. Help us not to worry about yesterday or tomorrow or even today. Help us just to trust you. Lord, help us not to worry, but to solely trust in you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to transform lives, to change lives. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up and we'll close with the chorus. If you need prayer, um, a couple of us will be in the back. Tyrone's already waiting back there and Cliff and I will be back there. But um, if you got something going on in your life, maybe this worry is, is just eating at you today. Um, we'd love to pray with you and, and, and chat with you. So uh, God bless you guys and we'll close out with a, a course.